incredible. Genesis part 40. Genesis chapter 29, verse 31 through 30, verse 24. Sermon title this morning is Envy and Idolatry. Envy and Idolatry. Let's pray again and ask for the Lord's help. Holy Spirit, we need you this morning. You wrote these words, and we need help to understand them. Help us all to sit under your authority. God, we want to hear from you. We don't want to twist or malign your word or put our words into your words that, it, that aren't there. We want to be read by your word. And so change us, change us and form us according to your words. Help us in the area of envy and idolatry. Free us from those sins. Open our eyes, open our hearts. I trust that you're going to. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, a quick note on Genesis chapter 29 and 30. On the sons of Jacob, whose name would later turn to Israel, Jacob would have 12 sons. In this section today, we're going to see the birth of 11 sons and one daughter. Benjamin would be a few chapters later. So we see the origins of the 12 tribes of Israel. And as we're walking through Genesis, I don't want you to miss the story of Israel, the beginnings. And so the 12 tribes of Israel have their origins in this chapter today. And for personal study, I would encourage you to look at the names of Jacob's sons. The names have meaning. Uh, each name have a, has a meaning, and specifically... Um, the meanings of the names of the 12 sons, the 11 sons specifically in this chapter, and these two chapters, point us to a larger redemptive work of Christ. The names of each son also prove to be quite prophetic, and so the meaning of the names reveal future realities of the people of God. And so there's much to study in this chapter. One of my favorite preachers, Martin Lloyd-Jones, once said to a person who had criticized him for preaching such long sermon series, the criticism came to him. He preached uh, 232 sermons on the book of Ephesians. That's a lot. He preached 366 sermons on the book of Romans, 117 sermons on the book of Acts, 254 sermons on the book of John. And so when somebody came to him with the accusation, you're preaching too many sermons, you're seeing too much, uh, they would have read through that really quickly, the early church, they would have read through it in one sitting, and his response was, when we get to glory, I will discover just how much I missed in the book of Romans. Just how much I missed. 366 sermons, it doesn't scratch the surface. Each word has meaning from God, and so there's so much there. So there's so much to this chapter that I will not be able to get to, so I always want to encourage you, go study your Bibles, get into it. Wrestle with it. There's so much more. Specifically this morning, I'm going to focus in on Rachel and on Leah. So the dealings of God with Jacob, Rachel, and Leah. So envy and idolatry. What is the connection between the two? Envy and idolatry. Envy, idolatry. Got it? Envy, idolatry. Okay, connection. I am not happy, let's say, with who I am and what I have. The idea is, the false idea is, that I will be happy with who I am if I can only get fill in the blank. If I could get that thing, that person, that job, I would then be happy. Envy 
reveals idolatry. What are you envious of? Who are you envious of? And today, we're going to look at identity idolatry. Being envious of who someone else is. Idolatry envy. Or identity idolatry. Uh, We can become so obsessed in the church with who I am, all caps, in Christ, that we're more focused on who I am than who Jesus is. So it's like the statement is who I am in Christ, and all we care about is who we are. So Jesus becomes a means of studying to discover all the things about me. Leah, we find in this passage today, is envious of Rachel, and Rachel is envious of Leah. Isn't that interesting? Envious of a woman who's envious of the other woman. That's the irony of envy. We're envious of other people's lives, and the people's lives we're envious of, they are envious of other people's lives. It's a vicious, vicious cycle. Leah, she thought if... If only I could be the woman whom Jacob loved, I'd be happy. Rachel had the affection of Jacob. Leah wanted it. Rachel, on the other hand, she thought, if only I could be the mother of Jacob's children, then I would be happy. Two women. God provides for both of them, but both are insecure and unhappy. They're envious of each other. And here's the truth of what we're going to study today. It doesn't have to be this way. It really doesn't. Envy doesn't have to ruin our lives. Let's first look at Leah's envy of Rachel. We're going to see two wrongs and a right. She's going to get it wrong twice, and she's going to get it right once. Look at verse 31 down through 35 of chapter 29. When the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. And Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben. For she said, Because the Lord has looked upon my affliction, for now my husband will love me. She conceived again and bore a son and said, Because the Lord has heard that I am hated, he has given me this son also. And she called his name Simeon. Again she conceived and bore a son. Now this time my husband will be attached to me, because I have borne him three sons. Therefore his name was called Levi. And she conceived again and bore a son and said, This time I will praise the Lord. Therefore she called his name Judah. Then she ceased bearing. We see the kindness of God in this passage because we see that God's eyes are wandering to and fro, that he sees. And in a world that wonders, does anybody see my pain? We can answer affirmatively, yes, God sees. God sees Leah's pain. His eyes are upon her. And the Lord was open toward Leah. God opened Leah's womb. But we see the cry of Leah's heart. She wants the affections of her husband. God opens her her womb and she conceives. And three times she cries out, wonders whether it's in her heart or out loud, is my husband going to love me now? Maybe now in verse 32, my husband will love me. In 34, now my husband will be attached to me. You see clearly her heart, her desire is that Jacob would love her. Now, who's the woman who has the attention of Jacob? Well, it's Rachel. Rachel was the one who had pretty eyes. She was the one who was beautiful. And Leah was the one with soft eyes, the one that wasn't as pretty. Jacob was tricked into marrying Leah. 
The emotional toll that that took on Leah, I'm sure, was quite large. The effects went on for years and years and years as she continued to long for the affections of Jacob. And so she looked, even though her womb was open, she looked to Rachel and wanted what Rachel had. If only Jacob would love me. That's what she wanted. Now, envy is interesting. When we're younger, when we're little children, we envy somebody else's toy, even if it's the same toy we have in our hand. We see this in children, do we not? I want that Lightning McQueen, even though it's it's the exact same Lightning McQueen that's in Ransom's hand. He wants that one because Sawyer has it. Envy begins to graduate into more and more noble things. And then we begin to be envious of things of greater nobility. Is it a noble thing to have the heart of a husband, to have a heart of a spouse? It is of great nobility. And yet it's envy nonetheless. It gets sneakier and sneaker as the older we get because we see and we want things that, are, that matter, that, that have value. So Leah wants what Rachel has. And yet, as we continue to look at this, we see that there's a change. The two wrongs and a right. We see that even after the third child, the longing in Rachel is for Jacob, for Jacob, for Jacob. Notice the change in verse 35 with the fourth son, the son named Judah. She says, this time I will praise the Lord. So somehow or another, in this moment, Leah gets it right. She isn't in this moment. Her focus isn't on being the woman whom Jacob loves. Leah, in this instance, has a different identity. She is a woman who is going to praise the Lord whether she has Jacob's affections or not. She is a woman who is worshiping God. Her focus is on God and not on herself or on Jacob. Regardless of the outcome, whether Jacob's love will turn toward her or not, she says, this time, I will praise the Lord. We're going to come back to this near the end of the sermon. Now, as we kind of flip the page, turn the proverbial page, and we look at Rachel, we see Rachel is very envious, and it says it in plain, plain letters. Look at verse 1 of chapter 30. When Rachel saw that Jacob had borne no children, when Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, she envied her sister. So much so, so much so, my commentary on the verse. Now back to the verse. She said to Jacob, give me children or I shall die. Motherhood is, carries with it great nobility. And for the moms who are out here, it is a great and noble calling. But Rachel longed for it so much, regardless of its nobility, she looked at Leah with envy, and so much so, she couldn't be a mom, she would rather die. She wanted what Rachel had. Leah wanted what Rachel had. Rachel wanted what Leah had. And this is the, you know, that's the, that's the joke of envy, Right? People who have what you want have discovered that what you want is not the key to life. And they can testify, I got it, and there's still something more. And so if you get what I have, it's not going to fulfill in the way you think it will fulfill. I will be happy with who I am, Rachel thought, mother. She had what Leah wanted, okay? But she thought, if I could only get what Leah wanted, I would be happy if I was a mom. It's motherhood or death for Rachel. 
the sad twist in the tale comes to a head because Rachel ends up giving her servant girl to, to Jacob. And the servant girl ends up having children for Jacob. And then in verse 8, we see that for Rachel, this was not a point of joy. This was a point of winning. Envy so got hold of her heart that she uses children to try to beat down her sister Leah. Look at verse 8. Then Rachel said with many wrestlings, I have wrestled with my sister and have prevailed. Envy had so got a hold of her that she wanted somehow or another to get children, not for children's sake even, and had gone from wanting to be a mother to wanting to trump her sister Leah, wanting to hold something to her up, up to Leah and make Leah jealous. She wanted to win. This is what envy does. Proverbs chapter 40, verse 30 says this, A tranquil heart gives life to the flesh, but envy makes the bones rot. And you see the rottenness in the bones of Rachel. Not to be outdone, Leah then retaliates. After her womb had been closed, Leah decides, Well, I'm going to give my servant to Jacob. It's exactly what she does. Verse 9, when Leah saw that she had ceased bearing children, she took her servant Zilpah, gave her to Jacob as his wife. Then Leah's servant Zilpah bore Jacob a son. And Leah said, good fortune has come. So she called his name Gad. Leah's servant Zilpah bore Jacob a second son. And Leah said, happy am I, for women have called me happy. So she called his name Asher. Leah boldly declares her happiness. She wears it on her sleeve. It seems as if, it does not explicitly say, but it seems as if Leah's happiness is somehow rooted in vengeance and not in reality. In retaliation, in wanting to win, happiness can be used as a hammer. And if you've been in a season where you've been hurt, sometimes you kind of can walk with this false persona of happiness and it's regularly used not as true happiness but as a tool for revenge. I'm happy, I'm happy, I'm happy, and you're not. So Leah, trying to outdo Rachel, does exactly what Rachel does to try to outdo Leah. And then, believe it or not, there happens to be a conflict after that. Can you believe it? So as the struggle, as the envy is continuing to eat away at the relationship of Leah and Rachel, it kind of comes to a head in verse 14. In the days of wheat harvest, Reuben went out and found mandrakes in the field and brought them to his mother Leah. Then Rachel said to Leah, please give me some of your son's mandrakes. Listen to the response. But she said to her, is it a small matter that you've already taken away my husband? Would you take away my son's mandrakes also? Rachel said. Or then Rachel said, Then he may lie with you tonight in exchange for your son's mandrakes. When Jacob came from the field in the evening, Leah went out to meet him and said, You must come in to me tonight, for I have hired you with my son's mandrakes. So he lay with her that lay with her lay with her that night, and God listened to Leah, and she conceived and bore Jacob a fifth son. Leah said, God has given me my wages because 
I gave my servant to my husband, so she called his name Ishgar. So Reuben finds some mandrakes. Rachel asks for some. It seems to be a small request. And Leah snaps back. Now you take my husband, and now you want my son's mandrakes. How dare you, woman? Right? You can see the fiery side of Leah. Snaps back. How dare you? Is it not enough that you have him? Well, Rachel wants some mandrakes, and you see how little Jacob means to Rachel. She has him, has her affection, and Leah must be thinking, you don't even care? He's not even worth mandrakes to you? And she exchanges for that evening the mandrakes for Jacob. Apparently, to Rachel, the mandrakes are more important. The man Leah longs for, longs for, prays for, most likely stay, stays up at, a night, at night thinking about, Rachel kind of shrugs her shoulders. You can have them. I just want those mandrakes. You see, even though Leah got it right once before, in verse 19 through 20, we get a specific mention of a relapse of Leah. And it's partially right. She gives thanks to God. Look in verse 19. Leah conceived again. She bore a sixth son. Leah said, God has endowed me with good endowment. That's the good part. Thank you, God, for that. But here's what she says. Now my husband will honor me because I have borne him six sons. So she called his name Zebulon. There's a great name, folks. Zebulon. Afterwards, she bore a daughter and called her name Dinah. So Leah still longs for Jacob. I mean, it's there. She cries out, longings. We all have longings. We all have desires. And it comes back. She wants Jacob. Now, maybe I will finally have the honor of my husband. And then we get to see Rachel, and we get to see God's faithfulness to Rachel. Rachel is still praying about motherhood. And God not only remembered or heard Leah, but then we see in verse 22 that God remembered Rachel. God listened to her and opened her womb. And what she always longed for, what she always wanted, she finally, she finally got. Verse 23, she conceived and bore a son. God has taken away my reproach. In verse 24, she called his name Joseph, saying, May the Lord add to me another son. And God did add another son years later by the name of Benjamin, the God who remembers. You see that God is faithful to Leah and faithful to Rachel through the family mess. Through the family mess. God has 12 sons born to Jacob through all of this. And God's purposes are continuing forward through all of this. How many Jerry Springer scenes have we seen in Genesis? It's almost weekly. Family drama, mama drama, you name it, it's there. Sister drama. I mean, there's like 15 Discovery Channel shows right here in Genesis. So what are we to do with this? Like This is what they longed for, and here is Leah, years later, still longing for the same things that she longed for before. These are identity questions. Leah longed, longed, longed to be a woman who had the affection of her husband. Rachel longed, identity, longed to be a mother, longed to have what Leah had. 
It wasn't enough for them to be where they were and who they were. They wanted something else, somebody else's life. They thought, if I just had what she had, then I would be it. I'd be comfortable with who I am and what I have. We live in a world absolutely obsessed with identity. Who are you? Who are you? Ask yourself that question right now. Who are you? How do you answer that question? Do you find that with do you define that with what you do? Do you find it by define it by your giftings, what you're skilled at? Or by being a husband or a father, a wife, a mother? Who are you? I'm a pastor. That's a statement of identity. I have a lot of things before I'm a pastor. Few pastors, unfortunately, current elders, pastors in here, you've experienced this. Few pastors know the difference between themselves and their calling. Who am I? Am I anything more than a pastor? Anything less? Who am I apart from getting to be a shepherd? Marriage, work, motherhood, fatherhood, all sources of misplaced, can be misplaced identity, and they're all noble. Many in our world get their identity from their sexuality, their identity with their gender gender or sexual preferences. Some try to find identity by public opinion after that crumbles. Humanity graduates to kind of the searching for dignity within or peace with ourselves, and discover some sort of dignity in self-worth, being at peace with one's self. And Christians, at this point, identity, at this point, with oneself, worth, dignity, Christians often claim to have the answers in this particular point that Leah and Rachel struggled with. Find your identity in Christ. You heard that before? Let me just... Okay, even if you're not a Christian here, if you're new to the Christian faith, have you ever heard the statement, you need to find your identity in Christ? Raise your hand. Crowd participation here. What do Christians mean by that? Okay, what do we mean by that? Find your identity in Christ. What does it mean? Well, unfortunately, a lot of what we say that means is complete and total nonsense. And I want to describe that to you specifically. The myth of the self-centered cross. And then we're going to go back to verse 14 specifically in Genesis chapter, chapter 30 here in just a, just a minute. Uh, or excuse me, not 14. Uh, here in a second we're going to go back to chap, or verse 30, 34, or 35. The myth of the self-centered cross. Here's how much of identity in Christ language is described. Note the following. Get your sense of self-worth from the cross. The cross is our final validation. The cross is God's approval of your worth. You're so valuable that Jesus came to get you. What does God think of you? The world judges you, but what does God think of you? What does God see in you? Look to the cross. He sees your potential. That's why He came for you. And if you can just discover who you are in Christ, who you are in Christ, 
then you can finally get identity and and the validation that you crave. You heard that kind of stuff before? You heard it? Sounds, Sounds right, doesn't it? In a sense, it doesn't sound way off the wall, way weird. There's a massive problem to that version of the cross. Looking at the cross to discover good things about you, your value, your glory, it really may be the epicenter of human narcissism. Looking to the cross to discover our glory, value, worth, identity, look how awesome I am, is to completely disregard the value, dignity, worth of who Jesus is is. And we look at the cross for self-validation because we're so obsessed with our identity. Somebody pat me on the back and tell me I'm doing good. And if the world won't, then certainly God will because He sees my potential. After all, that was the whole motive behind the cross because He saw how beautiful my insides were. And as an online (laughs) website joked, Christina Aguilera's song, You Are Beautiful, and this mock website said that's the was voted best worship song of all time. You are beautiful no matter what they say. This is the nonsense that often Christians actually believe. That if nobody else sees your beauty and your worth and your value and your dignity, just look at the cross and, and boom, there it is. God's saying, you are amazing. That is not the way we find identity. It really isn't. It's a huge problem. Christian identity is not finding out about who you are. It's not about finding out our worth personally. Nor is it finding out about our value, which are true statements. Those who are made in the image of God are of immense value and dignity and worth. But identity is not about us discovering that. God is not the great psychiatrist in the sky who can finally fix you. Verse 35, chapter 29 of Genesis. Again, she conceived and bore a son and said, Now this time my husband will be attached to me because I have borne him three sons. Note the change. Therefore, his name will be called Levi. Verse 35, And she conceived again and bore a son and said, This time I will praise the Lord. Even if Leah doesn't have Jacob's heart, even if she doesn't get the identity that she so longs for, she's going to praise the Lord. He's worthy. Even if I don't get Jacob's affections, he, God, is worthy. Notice in this instance, okay, her attention is away from herself. And it happened to be this son, Judah, through whom Jesus would come. Leah's teaching us about Christian identity here. God is through, through Leah and his work through Leah. In this verse, verse, Leah is free from envy. She's freed. She's not envious of somebody else's identity. I would be happy if I can only get what Rachel has. Now let's talk about real Christian identity. Real Christian identity. Real Christian identity is about being consumed with the praise and the glory and the honor of God. Who are you? Who are you? Who are you? You're a worshiper of God. 
That's who you are. You're a worshiper of the Most High God. That's why you exist. That's why you breathe. You are a worshiper of the Most High God. Leah's great-great-grandson is Jesus. And as we look to Jesus, as we look to the cross, we see, first we see our sin. It screams to us, I'm a sinner. But what we see at the cross is not our value, dignity, and worth. We see Jesus, value, dignity, and worth. And as we look to that great-great-great-grandchild of Leah, we can stop being so freaking obsessed with our our and envious of others. We can stop being obsessed with our identity. I'm sorry for saying that word. That was a distraction and inappropriate. I'm sorry. Honestly, I shouldn't have said that. I need Jesus. Like if my son said that, I would correct him. We can stop being obsessed with ourselves when we look at Jesus. The cross is not about the glory of man. It's about the glory of God. It's about the glory of God. We don't make the cross about us to affirm ourselves. The cross is about God. And in Christ... We don't have to be obsessed with who I am in Christ. We can be all about the last two words in that statement. In Christ. And the mantra of so many, you've got to know who you are in Christ, is really a statement about self-love. It's not a statement about Christ. In Christ, we're free to praise the Lord when we don't get what we so desperately want. I want you to hear that. When you don't get what you so desperately want, when you're praising Jesus, it's okay. It's okay. We don't have to be envious anymore. You really can be free from all that nonsense. In Christ, we are free to enjoy the life that God has given us. And I want you to hear that. Enjoy it. We're free to enjoy the life that God has given us. Why do we want the life that He's given somebody else? We're free. In Christ, we don't have to daydream about somebody else, what they have, what they want. We get to praise Him for the life that we have with Him. Andy and the team, go ahead and come up. These are questions of identity. Identity. Leah hit the nail on the head by the grace of God through her life and her actions in verse 35. This time I will praise the Lord. Her identity in that moment was not in being a loved woman. It was, I'm going to praise Him no matter what. And it dislodged her. Dislodged her from a life being obsessed about i got to get what Rachel has. Some of you are there. Some of you, all you know is a therapeutic cross. A cross that it's just God's, oh, I'm gushy over you. It's all you know. And although we are the beneficiaries of the great love of the Heavenly Father, that it was in love that He sent His Son, the cross is not a paddle back for us. 
It changes everything. I'm not living for God's affirmation of me anymore. I'm living for the glory and the honor and the praise of Jesus Christ. And whatever I find my hands doing, whatever I find myself doing in my life, I exist for Him. We don't have to be obsessed with me anymore. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, I pray you take these words and put it into our hearts, into our minds. I thank you for your forgiveness. I in no way want to get in the way of your words. And so help me in speech and in action be Christ-like. God, I thank you that you're continuing to actually, what I just preached today, you're actually working this my heart really at a feelings level in ways that I don't need to tell everybody here that you know. Freedom from some identity pieces of having or wanting what somebody else has, being somebody, just all that nonsense. God, thank you that you free us from that kind of stuff, from those kinds of things. And if we are Leah, the men in the room as well, if you're Leah, or if you're Rachel, and you find always longing after these things, and always just needing and feeling and wanting a pat on the back, and always just envying what other people have and always thinking, well, if I would only get this, I would be happy. Well, the Leah and the Rachel on the Bible, and they, they would say, you know what? Hey, I've been a mom and I've been loved, a loved woman, and you know what? There's something more. Open our eyes to the glory of Jesus on the cross. Thank you, God, that you have shown us clearly in your word that this is God's love for us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Thank you for your love for sinners. That your motive for coming for us was not our value, dignity, and worth. The motive for you sending your son was love for sinners because you are valuable and worthy and incredible and amazing and wonderful and glorious and all the words and adjectives that I could ever say. You are all of those things. So help us to be free, just like in verse 35. Even now as we sing, this time I will praise the Lord. Jesus, it's in your own, we pray. Amen.